Welcome to Mercy Street Church Podcast. My name is Jerry Wagner, founder and lead pastor of Mercy Street Church in Dallas, Texas. Thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast. Our desire is to unleash healthy disciple makers in West Dallas to reach the world. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing to listen to new messages every week. Have a God-filled day. I was thinking about that song, and my question oftentimes is, what if we believe the song that we just heard, that our life is not ours, to you it belongs, I give myself to you. And oftentimes we hear songs, we clap, we praise, I even see hands outstretched, but my, my, my question would be, has it went from your head to your heart. And when it goes from your head to your heart, have you acted upon it? It's a fitting song as we open up our new summer series with the book of Ecclesiastes is because you are about to be faced with some hard truths. And those hard truths are going to force you to either respond as one who has been called by God or to hide in the shadows of reality. Let me pray. Eternal Father, thank you so much for your grace and your love. Thank you so much for loving us. Because of your love, we have responded in love. I just pray, Father God, that the words of my mouth and my heart will be acceptable to you and that I will present your gospel and your truth to my brothers and sisters in such a way that the way they came in, they will not leave the same. We love you. We trust you, and we lift you up. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Let all the saints say, amen. Ecclesiastes, a show of hands, who read the book? No shame. If you haven't read the book, that's okay. Who has read the book of Ecclesiastes? Okay, which is normal, about half, you know. It's almost like the Song of Solomon. If I asked that, it would be even less. If I said the book of Nahum, they'd be like, where is that at? You know, like, I get it. Don't worry about it. The reason why I ask that question is because I want to kind of be didactic today and kind of lay a foundation for the book of Ecclesiastes so that we can ramp up in some of the hard places of Ecclesiastes. Is that cool? All right. So we're starting in Ecclesiastes and we're calling this series Hevel. All right. There's another Hebrew word. We've done this before at our church. Remember Ezer? That was a Hebrew word. Remember the book of Proverbs? Well, what word was in the book of Proverbs? Come on, y'all. Say it again. Say it with some, say it like you Jewish. Spit on somebody. There you go. If you do it right, it should get on the back of somebody's neck. Chokmah, you know. Like, say it right, right? Uh, Hevel is what we're calling this series, and it is a Hebrew word. In fact, this word is used 38 times in the book of Ecclesiastes and is designed to describe the nature of life. When we talk about the authors in the book of Ecclesiastes, when you enter the book, you're going to hear two voices. The first voice is going to be the author, and he is anonymous. In fact, we oftentimes refer to him as the editor. The second voice that you're going to hear, which is the primary voice, is the preacher. 
but I am not going to call him preacher throughout this whole sermon series. We're going to use his Hebrew name, which is Kohelet. All right, can we say that? Kohelet. It's like a play, like Shakespeare, you know, thou this, that's all it is, Kohelet. Some of you all are getting pregnant and stuff like that. That is a dope name to have, Kohelet. Like, name your child Kohelet, right? Well, I guarantee you, somebody going to name their child Kohelet. They go, oh, yeah, no, it's his middle name, though, all right? Um, and so, Kohelet is the main speaker. Now, when the author introduces Kohelet, he introduces him as the son of David, and he introduces him as the king of Jerusalem. This has caused much debate among scholars. And the reason why it has caused much debate is because some think that Kohelet is referring to King Solomon. Other people think that Kohelet is a Jewish sage, an Israelite who has wisdom, who is taking on the character or the persona of Kohelet. No matter what spectrum you fall under, Kohelet simply means one who has gathered or assembled people together. In fact, the purpose of Kohelet is to teach people, and not only to teach them, but oftentimes this where the translation comes, preacher. I am a Kohelet today. I have brought you all together so that you may learn the scriptures. I am the teacher today with the express hope that what you learn, you will apply. So don't call me Jerry today, just call me Kohelet Wagner, all right? <laughs> Somebody go do it. I, I, I love it. And so today, I want you to look at the reality of life. Why? Because the purpose of Kohelet within the context of Ecclesiastes is to force us, literally, he's about to force us to look at the reality of life. And his hope is that we will conclude two different truths. The first truth he hopes is that we will understand that life apart from God is meaningless. Life apart from God, watch this, is hevel. Life apart from God is not only hevel, it leaves you in this place of confusion. The second thing he wants us to understand is that living life in light of the certainty of death. In other words, you are going to die. Living life in the certainty of death can help you learn how to live. What? Me understanding that I'm going to die is a picture and an application of how I ought to live? Yes. Kohele said it will teach you how to live wisely, it will teach you how to live freely, and it will teach you how to live generously. I want you to look at this scene from this movie because I think it gives a depiction and a picture of what Kohele is trying to teach us today. Give some attention to Now, I know some of you all were not born when that movie was made. Or you were like two or five, like 1999. That's when it, who who was a toddler? See, look at that. That is a shame. Wow, you were a toddler when that was more, <laughs> that movie came out. Well, I was just going into college, 
all right, just to let you know, all right? And it was one of the coldest movies out. Like, Matrix went into hip-hop. Like, you've seen cats, you know, they went from this and hip-hop, and then they started doing, like, that's how cold Matrix was, right? <laughs> Dude, it, it, people thought they could dodge bullets. In fact, I remember in college, there was this young man who took on the philosophy of the Matrix. He says, man, matter is not real. I said, well, step out in the street and let this car hit you. He was like, I'm good. I said, yeah, bro, I knew you didn't believe that. And so Matrix, if you haven't seen the movie, I only recommend part one because two and three leave you with so many questions and holes, right? And then it just gets stupid. He flying all over the place. I'm like, man, is this DC Marvel? What, like, what is this? Like, the confusion there. But the Matrix, it, it depicts this uh, dystopia future in which humans are unaware and trapped inside kind of this simulated reality. And this simulated reality is, is actually controlled and created by machines, right? In fact, I think is what we do today. Ask a person to fast from their cell phones a couple of, uh, a couple of hours, a couple of minutes. They will go into withdrawal. That's what the matrix is trying to depict. And not only is it trying to depict this, but it, there's this resistance group led by the great Morpheus. The preaching team thought, it, thought I should have came up here with glasses on and like a long black suit. And I was like, oh, so y'all want the black man. I, I didn't do it. <laughs> but Lawrence Frenchburn was cold, man. Like he, like the way he walked, like he would just have his hands. More, Mr. Neo, you are. The, like he was that cold. I almost did it, but I didn't want to buy no clothes. <laughs> and Morpheus, his objective is to look for the one. The one. Neo, Mr. Anderson, Thomas Anderson, the great hijacker. But the scene that you saw was that there's always a mole. There's always someone who betrays the resistance. And the person who betrayed the resistance in this scene was our boy Cypher. Notice some of the things that Cypher said. The first thing he said was, I know that this stake doesn't exist. I know that the matrix is telling me that it is good and it is delicious. He says, but you know what I have learned after nine years of literally being a part of the matrix, matrix is that ignorance is bliss. I'm going to come back to that in a second. The moment he realized that he was ready to betray, the next thing he says is, I don't want to remember nothing. You hear me? Absolutely nothing. And I want to be rich. You know, someone important like an actor. The irony here is overwhelming. Why does Cypher betray his family? I tell you why, is because he wanted to escape the reality of life. The reason why he was willing to betray his family, because he no longer wanted to face what was real and what was fake. In fact, he was not satisfied with fighting the good fight. Isn't that like us? Don't we try to escape 
the reality of life? Don't we make decisions oftentimes so that we can escape from the very thing that God has called us to? In fact, for Cypher, escaping the reality of life was based on bliss or happiness. Now, for some of you all, you are not escaping because you want to be happy. Some of you all are escaping because you don't want to deal with the pain of life. Some of you are not doing it because of the pain. Some of you all are escaping because you are mad at God for creating you and putting you in a world that he called good once upon a time. But in your world and in your environment, it is chaos. For some people, escaping reality boils simply down to, I don't want to be accountable to the person who created me. And so you turn into an actor. You submit yourself to the pseudo-realities of this world. Matt Damon said this quote, and I think Sidney Portier said it first, but I think what he's saying is right. He says, the better you are at acting in a role, the less people know about you. What is he saying? He says, the better I am as Jason Bourne, the less people know who I am as Matt Damon. That's what we do sometimes. The better you are at camouflaging who you are, the better you are at hiding yourself amongst the midst of people, the less people know you. Isn't that the issue of the compromise? Isn't that the issue of going into a false pseudo-reality? Is that you're not known. And not only are you not known, but the God who created you, you don't want to know him either. Kohelet is a deep um, person who's trying to get us to face the reality of life. I was watching my daughter the other day to kind of bring this point home, and um, she has an imaginary friend. And I, it threw me off because she kept using this name that I was like, baby, who, who are you talking about? He, he right here. I'm like, who is he? Like, like Jaws? Jaws is in the other room. And, 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 and the, the issue wasn't that she was pretending because pretend is fun and it is beautiful. You know, in the, the pretend world, you can buy anything you want to. You can be anyone you want to. You can do anything you want to. So that's not the issue. You know what the issue is in pretending? Is that you can't take it into the world of reality. And oftentimes we want to escape reality when in fact Kohelet is saying, no, today I want you to face reality. And so that's what I'm going to do today. My, my hope is that I can get you all to face the reality of life. And do not look at the book of Ecclesiastes as if it's about pessimism, as if it's about hopelessness, because that is not the posture nor the perspective of Kohelet. What he's trying to get us to do is not be a sellout like Cypher and be the heroes that God he has called us as Neo, which means the new man. Okay, I made that connection, all right? And so the first reality that Kohelet wants us 
to, to grasp is life is smoke. Not smoke cigarettes, but it's smoke, right? In fact, I almost bought a smoking machine up here to kind of give the image of what he's trying to lay out. Maybe I'll do it next week. I don't know. But Kohelet forces us to face the reality that life, face the reality of life, and he does it in a very shocking and opening way. In fact, the first verse that you see, and and or the most impactful verse in chapter one is vanities of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Notice something about that. Five times he used the same word in one verse. In other words, whatever he wants you to know is serious. And and, and not only is it serious, but he wants to be so emphatic with it that he wants to disturb your very conscience. Here's what I like about the whole process of him breaking this down. If you want someone to like wake up and kind of face the reality of life, the first thing that you want to do is tell them everything that you're doing is vain. Everything that you're doing is emptiness. That everything that you're doing has no hope. If you want to rattle someone, tell them, man, it don't even really matter. In fact, if you were watching, if you've watched the movie Matrix, this is actually what happened to Neo the first time he was taken out of the Matrix. The first time that uh, Morpheus took him to what he called the desert. The first thing that Neo said as a question was, is this real? Is this real? And then Morpheus said, what do you mean by real? If you mean by the things that you can touch or the things that you can see, then real is only the sensory things that connect you to what you can see and taste and hear. And then he begins to show that the matrix was simply designed to turn humans into an ordinary battery. And Neo's next response was, I don't believe it. It's impossible. I won't believe it. Stop it. Let me out of here. And if I'm honest, I think some of you all listening to this sermon are, are there as well. You're like, oh, Jerry, is this sermon going to be morbid? Is this sermon series going to be like that? For those who are pessimists, hearing vanities of vanities is just fueling your hopelessness in life. But for those who are optimists, it's not fueling um, your hopelessness. It's actually disturbing your very mindset that there's no hope in life. In fact, I forgot on the Indian gram who the people that I'm supposed to disturb out there, that when they hear this, they're going to be like, oh, Jerry, I, I I don't know what to do with myself. I'm so tired of in the ground, man. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Jerry, he's a six and he's an eight. Stop. You need to be sanctified just like everybody else. But <laughs> it's killing me. I had to bring it up, so you know how I feel about that. <laughs> so what does Kohelet mean about vanity? Is, is he leaving us in this state of hopelessness and emptiness? Megonoito, to use a Greek word. That is not what he is saying. 
The Hebrew word he used here is hevel, right? In some English translation, the word hevel is translated as vanity, or some people translate it as meaningless. And when we read that word, oftentimes our response is that of a first-year philosophy student. Anybody take philosophy and mind was blown away in that first class? You went home or, or, or called your mom or your dad or told your uh, brother or sister, man, the world is meaningless. That's why I'll tell people, if you go through first-year philosophy, you should not be allowed to talk to anyone until you at least go through two more classes. Because it leaves you there like, what on earth? Is there any re uh, reasoning to life? And the reality is that is not the point that Kohelet is trying to make. In fact, the Hebrew word for hevel can also be translated as breath or vapor or the word that we're going to use, smoke. Smoke. The reason why Kohelet uses this metaphor is to describe the nature of life. And watch this. If, if you're trying to like put all these pieces together, here's two ways you can do it. Life is like smoke because life is temporary. Life is like smoke because life is temporary. The image that he wants you to understand is that of blowing out a, a, a candle. And the moment that you blow out a candle, the smoke begins to fill the air. But the problem with the smoke is not that you can't see it. The problem is not that you can't touch it. The problem is that not that you can't taste it. Uh, the problem with the smoke is it's hard to grasp. It does not leave a lasting imprint. Kohela is saying that's what life is like that is hard to grasp. It doesn't leave a lasting imprint. It's like smoke. The second thing he points out is life is elusive or life is confusing. It's funny because when I think about him breaking this down, he's saying, try to grab smoke. Like, try to reach out and watch how it slips through your fingers and slips through your hands. That's what life is like. In fact, the issue of trying to grab smoke or what Kohelet is trying to communicate is that the root issue of all that is control. You want to control life. You want to make sense of life. You want to be able to handle it in such a way so that you can manipulate it, so that you can freeze it, so that you can put it together. And Kohelet is saying, that's not how life works because life is heaven. It is a vapor. It is but a breath. This week, man, was the hardest week of my life. And it began to remind me of how confusing and how unpredictable life can be. One day I had five meetings in a row and all my meetings started at 6 a.m. and I thought I was done when I got home but then I had two more meetings and then one of the meetings left my house and then came back to the meeting and then to make matters even worse my auntie died 
the uh, following day. And then I get a call from my brother that says that my uncle just passed out and his heart stopped beating and they had him on life support. And so I said, I'm going to begin to pray and see what and see God, who is the God who is a healer. Him just show up. Only to get a text to say, bruh, Unc just died as well. And then everyone was asking me, Jerry, how do you feel? But I couldn't feel anything because I had to take care of all these other things going on in my life. I, I'm, I'm just simply trying to explain to you, have That life is elusive and it's temporal. And it leaves you wondering and wanting and trying to grasp that understanding while you're going through the hardships of life. See, oftentimes we don't like reading Ecclesiastes for those who have read it because it forces you to understand that life is just downright complex. It's hard. It leaves you disoriented. It leaves you grasping for air. It leaves you grasping for breath because life is vain. I, I, I was in Walmart and I'm trying, I'm reading this text and I'm trying to make sense of all these things with death going on. Does it bother you sometimes when you stand and you choose to stand in one line, but then you look at the other line over there and it's going faster than the line that you joined? Like, this is what Ecclesiastes has done to me. It has caused me to look at life and all these. I'm in Walmart line thinking I'm going to go faster. And this person who has two baskets was moving faster than me. I'm trying to make sense of this. And I'm like, is this life? (laughs) This is what Ecclesiastes is doing to me. And it's one thing for my uncle and my auntie to die, but it's another thing for people who you know that love Jesus, people who you know that are young, people who you know that are doing missional things, and yet they get sick. And yet they die. And then the dictators, they are prosperous and they live a long time. you like, Jesus, why don't you kill him? Why you take them? Come on, man, I'm just telling you what most of you all are already thinking. See, Kohelet is not here to be your friend. This sermon is not here to be your friend. This sermon is forcing you to look at the reality of life. Because the moment you detach yourself from reality, oftentimes you find yourself escaping. You find yourself escaping in alcohol. You find yourself escaping in premarital sex. You find yourself escaping in food. You find yourself escaping in all these different things because you don't want to face life. Because life is hard. and You don't know what to do with it. And you want to control it. Why is Kohelet saying these things? Well, he's not saying these things just to turn, to to make life feel morbid, right? The reason why he's saying these things is because he wants to demolish your pretense by confronting us with the reality of life. 
more biblically, this is what he's doing. He is trying to get us to face all the ways that we try to find meaning and purpose apart from God. That's, that's next week. I'm, 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 I'm going to hit that next week. But that's the issue. That when you can't find meaning in life, you go look at other things and attach meaning and purpose to those. That's why you can have someone who's a great worker, a great employee, but he or she is a bad parent. That's why you can have someone who is single and has time and has resources, but they still feel lonely. Because their life is not attached to the mission of God. It's attached to this pseudo-reality that marriage will make my life complete. That is not true. And my wife got up after that like, man. This dude. I love my boo. I love her. But she's not my savior. She cannot fulfill the things of my heart. Only Jesus can. She comes along and compliments and, and help, and we can rule the earth together. But when it comes to the matters of the heart and the matters of the mind, only Jesus Christ can step in and fulfill that. He's trying to get you to unhitch from your hevel. I got it in. I knew this was going to be heavy, but I, I'm Kohelet today. If Kohelet was here, he, he, he's trying to do something that calls you to look at God. And so he says in the next verse, he says, What does man gain by all the toil at which toils under the sun? And the answer to that question, all of us know, is nothing. Like all the work that you do under the sun, which literally means in life, it absolutely is nothing. In fact, the word gang here conveys the idea of something being left over or something giving you profit. But that's what's at stake at this question, right? What's at stake is, at the end of my life, what will be the surplus? Like, that's what you're asking. Like, at the end of my life, what will I have left over to show for it? And to answer this question, Kohelet takes the entire universe. When you look at verses uh, 4 through 11, he takes the entire universe and he begins to sketch it out. He begins to paint this beautiful picture and then he puts you in the middle of it to show you how small you are. He takes humanity and places them in the center of it to show how and why there is nothing to be gained. In fact, he says the only thing that you leave behind when you die, watch this, is the earth. That's why he says generations goes and generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Kohelet is cold up here. He says, listen, you know how you came in this world butt naked? He said, you're going to leave this world butt naked, but the world is going to continue to revolve. Oh, man. Most people say, but I have children. 
My children are going to carry on my legacy. My, my, my children are going to carry on the things that I have given them. Watch this. They're going to labor. They're going to toil. They're going to take your business that you pass on to them. And guess what? They're going to die too. And the only thing that's going to be left behind is the earth. To quote the great, king, um, the great king Mufasa, when he was talking to Simba, he simply said, this is the circle of life. I tried to do James Earl voice, but I, it didn't come out right. Simba, this is the circle of life. Did I get it to all my African brothers? Did I get it a little bit? Okay. They like, no. And so he's trying to get us to understand, this is life. And this is how it all pans out. Why, why do you all think that I'm, I think about my death and me telling my wife, hey, if I die, sell this house. I don't want nobody moving in this house. I don't work too hard for this house. And all of a sudden, somebody else go come in and benefit on my sweat and tears and my toil. And the reality is, <laughs> look at some people like, Jerry, you really talked to your wife about that? I did, man. It, I don't know how it came up, but I had a conversation about it, man, and I haven't let it go yet. I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but <laughs> after reading Ecclesiastes, I'm like, oh, I can't do nothing about it. Somebody else going to come lay in my bed, eat my food, and whatever. <laughs> I'll let Jesus deal with it when he comes back. <laughs> Kohelet is saying life is smoke. Life is Hevel, and it leaves you in a position that you understand that life is temporary. It leaves you in a position where it tells you that life is elusive, but it also, if you notice what he's trying to do, it's forcing you to ask the question, where is God at in the midst of all this? This is wisdom literature 101. See, wisdom literature is not designed just to give you answers. It is designed to force you to deal with those cute statements so that it draws you to God. And so Kohelet's next phase or next reality that he wants us to face is that life is repetitive. Life is repetitive. In other words, it's not, it's not linear. It is cyclical. Like it, it goes around and around and around. And the way that he explains this smoke of a life or this elusive nature of life is that he compares the world and human experience together. I, I thought this was cool how he did this. He took kind of this threefold layout. And he takes these threefold layouts and he's trying to get you to understand how life is this cyclical reality that repeats itself. All right. If you look at verses five through eight, let's look at that real quick. The first thing he does is he, he challenges these three patterns of the world. He says the sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, they flow again. So he takes the world, but now he's about to take human experience. Notice what it says in verse 8. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it, which means to speak. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. 
What does the sun, wind, water have in common with speaking, seeing, and hearing? I tell you what it has in common. You are never satisfied. Just like the sea is never filled because the water evaps away. Just like humans, you are never satisfied. There's nothing on this earth that can satiate you. It, it, it leaves you still wanting or what uh, Kohela says, grasping or striving for wind. Oh, man. And, and, and the more and more I think about this, I know what most people say. They look at verse 9, and he says, what has, uh, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. And then most of us read that and be like, Jerry, that's not true. There has been things that are new. There has been things that are invented. Okay, let's put that to the test, right? One person said, uh, we went over to their house to watch the fight. They say, I have this, this latest display technology. And he goes on to say, it is called the OLED, right? It is the new latest model of televisions. I looked at him and said, but it's still a TV. I, I know it looks like the people, you can see pimples on their face and freckles and all that stuff. It looks like you can shake hands with the actors and all this stuff. But watch this. It's still a TV. Okay, what about this one? Most people look at my phones like, Pastor, I, I think you need to get a better phone. I got, a number, I got an iPhone 6, all right? Right now, there's an iPhone 10 out. Am I correct? iPhone 10 Plus, all right? So I'm like four generations removed. All right, from iPhones, right? It's five? Five generations? Okay, right, you're right. I got six. Oh, so now we're multiplying. Is that what we're doing? <laughs> Forget, uh, you see what they do? Forget the addition, we're multiplying now, okay? So now you're going through the series, all right? All right, so, okay. So, <laughs> right? And, 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 and so you're sitting there, looking at my phone, judging me like brothers like this right here, right? <laughs> and you think I need to get a better phone. The problem is, it's still a phone. It's still designed to connect or communicate with people. There's nothing new under the sun. Well, Jerry, people have walked on the moon. Okay, you write about that. But here's the problem. Ain't nobody else walked on that moon again, right? And it was still another adventure. Because that's what humans do. We go on adventures. Here's the point that Kohelet is trying to make. There is nothing new under the sun. That's not what he means. Because we all know new things have been invented. His point is, there is nothing new that, can ever, that we can ever discover that will break the cycle that will satisfy our desires. See, humans, if we conquer the atmosphere, the solar system, you know what our next conquest will be? The galaxy. See, if you get that raise so that you can live that life that you've been dreaming about, you know what's, ha what's going to happen next? You're going to buy more stuff and you're going to need more money to take care of that stuff. That's who we are. 
That's what humans do all the time. We're never satisfied. That's why we want iPhone 10s and stuff like that. This brother over here. Can you pay for your bill? No, I'm just playing. Let's go. <laughs> you got a 10 and, 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 and you, you got a 10 and catching the bus. Come on, man. <laughs> he talking in style, but he riding. Okay. Hevo. People start to put their phones in their pocket like, yeah, man, I Ubered over here today, Pastor. Okay. <laughs> Get a car, not a phone. <laughs> Both of them are live All right, let me go. Here's Kohelet's final face of reality. He says, people do not gain from their labor and toil because ultimately they we are going to die and be forgotten. He says the reason why there's no gain, the reason why there's no permanent stain is because all of us are going to die. In, in fact, in verse 11, it simply says this, there's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things, yet to be among those who come after. You're going to die. I'm going to die. And everything that we have hoarded and everything that we think is so extremely important that moves from importance to power, that moves from having something as a resource to moving towards idolatry, he says will be forgotten will be taken away, will fade away. I'm about to be 40 years old in December. Well, that, that's if I make it. I, I don't know. I just said we're going to die, so you, you just can't clap on that thinking I'm going to make it to 40. I got into December. I'm about to be 40 years old, and... I don't know if I'm going through kind of a midlife crisis or things of that nature, but I've really been thinking about death. And I've been thinking about it a lot to the point that in some areas of my heart, there's a level of anxiety. And that anxiety comes from the level of fulfillment. And what happens is when you get to a place of anxiety, what you will start to do is to try to compromise your life with other things to interrupt the reality of death or to interrupt the reality of the elusiveness of life or to interrupt the reality of the temporal aspect of life. We're going to talk about that next week. And I've gotten to a point where I don't even want to do certain things. Sometimes I don't want to go play basketball because when I look at the rim, my body tells me, Jerry, you can't jump up there and dunk anymore. And I, sometimes I, I, I walk in the store and I look at hats because I want to put hats on because I'm like, Jerry, that hair that you used to have waves and stuff where you used to wear the wave cap and have that line right here, like you don't have those no more, brother. 
In fact, I wanted to put like a progression of pictures up here to show you what happened to my hair in 2014 to 2015 to 2016 to 2017. And then when I get right here, if the light shines on my head, it looks like I'm completely bald up here. Come on, man. You can be honest. You can see. But it, I stopped because I was like, I don't want to shame myself. Or I, I, I'm scared of how people see me. And, I, and that's what we do. We get to a point where we allow the anxiety of life to overwhelm us. And then we begin to hide behind hats. We begin to hide behind people. We begin to hide behind pseudo-communities. We begin to hide behind big churches. We begin to hide behind all these different things because of heaven. And so instead of giving you this imperative application, I'm actually going to give you homework to set you up for the next sermon. I have three questions for you. The first question is this. What can you learn from the brevity of life? What can you learn from the brevity of life? Write that down. Because I want you to face the reality of life. The second thing is I want you to do is answer this question. How do you try to control this elusive life? How do you personally try to control this elusive life? All right, last one. And all of them are up here, if you can see. What ways do you try to find meaning and purpose in life, watch this, apart from God? What ways do you look for meaning and purpose in life apart from God. Now, let me be honest, because remember, I'm Kohelet. Next week, I'm going to ask some people the answers to some of those questions. Because my hope is that you will go home and begin the process of reading chapters, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, so that you may understand what it means to face the reality of life. If you are married, if you got a 25-minute drive home, guess what? Wrestle with these questions in the car. If you got to catch the bus, you already standing out there. You might as well pull. <laughs> you, you might as well pull the questions out, right? Use your iPhone 10 to do it, right? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> Worship team, we ready. We ready. He 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 gonna remember not to talk back to me. All right. <laughs> this first sermon was an introduction to Ecclesiastes. It was to help you understand wisdom literature at its best and to leave you with the questions that Kohelet was trying to provoke in all of us. My prayer for you all is to begin the process of facing the reality of life as we go into some of the hard passages of Ecclesiastes so that we may know how to live well 
and to live in a world that a God that we know who is good created for us. Let us worship the Lord. Thank you again for listening to Mercy Street Church Podcast. Until we meet again, Shalom.